Okay, look, before we do this, I will do this on one condition. Hey, everybody, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. Todd Conklin here. I'm your host for this show. I'm doing this without headphones today, so I don't even know what it's going to sound like. I'm uh, I'm out there on the edge, and I'm loving it, loving it. How are you? It's um, it's another podcast episode in the midst of a pandemic, with so much going on. It's been really interesting the last couple of days. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to people about the idea of of really moving forward from this critical series of events. And that discussion is always valuable. It's hard, though, because we're still clearly in the middle of everything. And it's, it's. I mean, every day is just filled with more uncertainty, it seems. I, and I don't want to sound depressed by this, although I will tell you, all of us, I think, are suffering under just being under a lot of stress for a long, long time. I mean, things just aren't normal. And because things aren't normal, we're sort of heightened in some ways. And that is, in fact, what the podcast is about today. So I've been promising this podcast for a while, a long while, actually. And so now I'm going to get to share it with you. And I'm pretty excited about the opportunity to share it with you because we're going to talk to my friend Mark McElhaney. And Mark is the founder and chief executive of an organization called Critical Response Associates. And it's a, it's a team of experienced psychologists who specialize in identifying and resolving high-risk threats um, to organizations. And I met Mark, man, I don't even know when I met Mark. It had to have been 20 years ago. Oh, it was a while. And we met in the most interesting way. We were going to do a really big workshop for a large uh, organization that makes soda pop that rhymes with Coca-Cola. And uh, the senior executive that had set the workshop up was really forward-thinking, and, and we were going to spend some time with a pretty high level of leadership, and the meeting was in New York City. And so I'm kind of a country boy. You know that, right? I grew up in western Kansas, and I live in New Mexico. So like six cars on the road is crazy. And New York City always is exciting to me. I mean, just any way you cut it, it's always fun and interesting. And I feel like, you know, just like the country mouse in the big city. And um, this uh, this executive wanted me to co-present with uh, another person who was going to talk about threat assessment. And uh, so I was fine. I honestly was fine with it. My whole career, I've done that just because my job at Los Alamos, you, you often co-presented. I, I actually like it. So, I mean, I'll just be really honest with you. It means that part of the day you don't have to present and you can sit and listen. And that seems worthwhile because I don't know if you know this, but if you present a lot, uh, you already know what you're going to say and you've heard it before and you know how it's going to end and it's not that exciting. So hearing somebody else is really fun, but they were really worried that we were that maybe we wouldn't get along or that this would, I don't know, offend somebody. It was a really interesting deal. So 
long story short, and this is getting to be kind of a long story, I can tell, the executive said, why don't we meet for dinner the night before? And so that's what we did. I, I got into town and, and located the restaurant in which we were going to meet. And sure enough, we sat at this big round table. It strikes me, we should ask Mark this question, but it strikes me that we were sitting kind of in a, in a cellar. It was, it was, a it was at below ground level because the window looked out to the street and you could see people's feet. It was probably a great restaurant because, uh, that, company always went to great restaurants and it's a pretty good bet it served coca-cola let's just put that out there and so they sent me in the corner with this guy and we were supposed to meet each other and you know become familiar and i'm sure they had envisioned us you know planning out the entire next day and the workshop was going to be amazing and all that was going to happen so we're talking and super nice guy and i think i'm a nice guy so it was two nice guys sitting there talking and uh, we were just kind of making conversation. And for some reason, Mark and I started talking about music. And I asked him, what kind of music do you like? And he said, oh, you won't, you won't really know the people I listen to. And I said, well, try me because, I mean, I'd be really interested. And in the next 30 seconds, every name he said was somebody that I adored. And we kind of had a connection over really quite honestly it was bluegrass and folk music that i i think built a bridge to a friendship that's probably 25 it may be older i mean that was a while ago and the presentation the next day was really fun and really interesting and i learned so much and continually learned so much from mark just because he he's in an area where he really looks at high risk threat to organizations so threat to workplace violence or product quality safety uh, threats. I mean, and big organizations, as you guys probably know, get threats. I mean, it's a world filled with people who are certainly marginalized and want to create some kind of attention. And so they make threats to these companies. And that's what Mark has done. And I've worked with Mark for years and years and years and years. And it's just been one slow adventure filled with lots of information after another. And I've taken so much knowledge from him, just just the way he does his business. And, and the work he does is, is it's quite specialized. But if you need somebody like Mark and his team, you need somebody like Mark and his team. And we have since been friends and have traveled around the world together, just training or working or even hanging out. I mean, we've, we've been to great places across the world and mark's quite a photographer in fact i would suggest his passion is probably photography and i'm quite a talker and so we're really fun on a city street in south america or walking down i don't know the uh avenida de medicon in havana because i'll talk to anybody and then mark will take their picture and it's it's worked out really well let's short i mean let's shorten this story so, you know, I've been talking about Mark and his theories on how time moves during a crisis, which he's thought a lot about. And I've talked about it before, and, and I've said I'm going to put him on the pod. Well, this is that conversation. I finally nailed him down. It's pretty hard to get him nailed down, but I nailed him down. And I said, I want you to talk about this idea that time is 
something that's kind of negotiable and that activity fills the time you have. And that's exactly what we talked about. So let me shut up because I've talked too long, but I thought that story was kind of interesting. It's certainly a part of our background. And listen to the conversation between Mark and myself as we talk about really long-term chronic threat, long-term chronic risk, which he manifests and talks about as long-term chronic stress, stress on the person, stress on the workers, and stress on the organization. So here is that conversation. Enjoy and have fun. So what I want to ask you is we've talked about this so much, and it's gotten so much attraction and attention mm-hmm. because I talk about it on the podcast, but it's the, I think you called it the, the, the activity. I can't, I looked it up too. The, the, that during the quarantine, there's an activity leveling that you, you, you lower your activity or your activity becomes lower based upon sort of the context in which you're in. Do you remember this conversation? Yeah. Well, it's the same conversation I've had with people way before this pandemic, which is people, my friends who retire. Same, same conversation, same thing, where your activity fills whatever space you have. And, and basically, so um, all the things that you do kind of widen to fill up the space that you have. So when I used to have two minutes to go grocery shopping, I did it in two minutes. And now if I have three hours, it takes me three hours. And I get used to it taking me three hours. What, is, um, what's, what causes that? What, why, why does that happen? I don't know. Are you? Are we recording now? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. I don't know. I didn't know that. Okay. Are, and you're going to edit this whenever you know all the other stuff. Oh, I didn't record all the other stuff, so we're good. We're good there. But yes, I'll edit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. good. Uh, what, what program do you use to edit this? Uh, GarageBand. Really? Okay. All right. Anyway, because it's uh, so free, what's the question? It's free, and I like it. I mean, <laughs> that's why. So oh, my question is, is why does this happen? Why does this phenomenon take place? Because uh, let me expand on it a bit. Uh, first of all, I think you're exactly right, which is probably why I talk about it all the time on the podcast. But it's weird. It's like a two-hour project can take two days. And it shouldn't take two days, but it, it sort of fills two days. Am I crazy? No, I mean, that's exactly what happens. And, and it seems like what happens is that, uh, again, uh, whatever we have to do on our to-do list, whether it's a mental or, or physical to-do list, whatever we're planning on doing uh, takes as much time as we have uh, available. And so, you know, and again, it can be and it can be very simple, like going to the grocery store. You know, if you're really busy, you kind of have yourself all hyped up and and you have yourself on a certain schedule and you're you're running in fourth gear, let's say. And and then if you, you know, if you, if you have a lot more time and you you come down to, to to first gear, then that same grocery store trip takes a lot longer. You have the time. So it does. And but plus you're in, in first gear and have no real need to switch up to second. There's no there's no pressing need to switch to second gear. Does that Much speak, less fourth gear. Does that speak to personal motivation? Does it mean you're lazy or is it really a contextual factor of just the amount of time you have? I guess maybe I'm interested in knowing am I going am I becoming worse or is this normal? Yeah, it's well it's very normal. I mean I I think you see it with people that retire a great deal. I mean everybody I know that retires is the exact same thing. They say Gosh, I don't know how I ever had time 
for work because I'm, I'm spending so much time doing my daily chores yeah. that it's filling up my day. Everybody says that when they retire. Um, you know, I don't know how I ever worked. And and so so I think it's, it's pretty normal, you know, when, when you take away uh, different activities. And, and, and what was interesting is that when this pandemic started, everybody had all these great plans. They were going to um, learn a new language, play another musical instrument, uh, you know, clean their house, do this, do that, uh, you know, build an addition to their home and all that. Most people I know haven't done all that. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty rare, actually. Uh, you know, and, and so, um, in fact, those who have done it, it's taken them a little while to kind of get to that point of doing it because it's like, it's again, they, uh, there's another factor that's going on through this pandemic is that there's a lot of stress that's expended on just uh, adjusting to it, just being with it. And that stress uh, takes a lot off of us and it takes, and it basically, um, slows us down because we're spending more mental and physical energy, whether you know it or not, just dealing with the stress of not knowing what to do or the stress of just being in a weird environment. Uh, that basically makes us very inefficient compared to where we used to be when we had a, a set schedule and when we were all geared up and we knew what we had to do and we knew what our long and short-term goals are. So there's a lot of time that's kind of spent running in circles um, you know, trying to figure out everything. Everybody's feeling lost right now. I mean, and that's the word I hear a lot, lost. And and let me expand on that because that's exactly where I, I, I'm taking this in my head too, is that one of the things I'm seeing is this notion of risk fatigue. And I don't, that's, that's a term I just made. I don't think that's a real term. I mean, I made it up. But we're so exposed at chronic levels for so long to risk that we're tired of risk and we're willing to sort of take chances. I mean, have you noticed that? Yes. I mean, I I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, I think there is a risk fatigue. uh, And I think that is a a term or stress fatigue where, and and people will say, by the way, that they're sleeping more and they're not sleeping, you know, because they're lazy. They're sleeping because they are tired at the end of the day. And they look at the end of the day and say, well, I don't know why I'm tired. I haven't done any work. Well, they have done work. Uh, and it's just not its not uh, the same kind of work that they're used to. Just dealing with the stress and the risk, the background risk, the body's working. And so you're tired at the end of the day. Of course, and as you know, I mean, the, you know, alcohol consumption is, is way up, you know, for most of the population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at, at astronomical levels, actually. Um and so, and, and you, you mentioned something about going out and taking chances. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, there's a, you know, there was some reports in, in my city, you know, at the, back in April of all these people racing up and down the highways, you know, just getting out doing, you know, uh, getting into races or something just to kind of stimulate themselves. So there's all sorts of stuff going on that, again, we're not. We haven't been prepared for this is new stuff. And so it's it, it doesn't it, it's it's confusing because we've never been here before. Will we normalize to this level of stress? Or can we normalize? Maybe that's a better question. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Uh, we can normalize this level of stress, but uh, but it's going it, to it'll take a while to normalize to it. And also 
there is no this level. This this is all changing all the time. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's no it, the the normalization of it. Yeah, it will take. But yeah, I mean, if the pandemic lasts for twenty years, we'll normalize to it. Yeah, we'll get adjust to it and and build our lives around it. But uh, but again, it's all changing so quickly, and there's a lot of unknowns right now. So that is is you know the, the biggest stressor is uncertainty. Period. How does this you know, so, how does this apply to organizations then? I mean, kind of the work you do with threat assessment. I mean, you really look at. I mean, it seems like all the components to make you busier than crap are in the system right now in a big way. Are you seeing it manifest in actions? Are are, are leaders doing the right thing, the wrong thing? What, what should they do? Well, you know, leaders are, are confused. I mean, I've had several people I've talked to on, on the phone who basically, you know, you know, CEOs or or very high level uh, executives who basically have said, "I'm lost. I don't know what." And the, the question is, what What are other people doing? What are other yeah. managers doing? What are other directors doing? And it's like they're asking me what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, yeah. I get this completely. So, yeah. Nobody knows. I mean, nobody knows. And so everybody's, like I said, everybody's feeling lost. And so um, that's going on and everybody's kind of feeling their way in the dark right now. Um, you know, there's a lot more stress. Like I said, it's background stress, you know, regarding this and people are less efficient in some ways. Some and everybody's dealing with this very differently because this is a different phenomenon that nobody's ever experienced before. And I think there are people out there who are saying, hey, I'm dealing with this a lot better than I thought. And there are people out there saying, hey, I'm dealing with it a lot worse than I thought. And their friends are saying the same thing. Boy, I thought you'd be dealing with it well and you're not and vice versa. And so uh, because it's an unknown. And so everybody's dealing with it their own way. And I think it it presents challenges that if we sat back and try to think of it abstractly, like what, you know, what is this going to be like? I don't think we could come up until you get into it. It's kind of like sending someone off to war. You know, yeah. you can imagine it all you want to, but until you're in the real thing. Um, and this is this is a this is different. This is not, uh, you know, something that anybody's going to automatically know what to do. Some people do it better than others. I think you're I mean, you're 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 brilliant. You're the same person that told me on a bike ride. Half the trip is downhill, which I <laughs> process that and process that. That's the most beautiful thing. That you've ever said, but I think unless well, unless you're on a complete level plane all the time, you know, but which is not likely. Oh well, maybe you are in, Can, Saturday, in, I don't in know. Kansas. You could do that in, in Kansas. <laughs> Kansas, yeah, that's totally the, the problem. But but I, so you you really have the ability to sort of uh, be kind of a participant observer. I mean, it, it's your training and really your life's advocation that's put you in this position. I, I guess the answer. What I want to ask is what should we do about it? But I think I, I don't think that's a good question. I think the answer is, is how do we how do we take this operationally within an organization and and deal with it effectively? Should we have shorter term goals? Do we do we start looking at agility and change as a feature, not a bug? I mean, what do you recommend? <laughs> I mean, that's a million dollar question. You know, uh, you know, being light on your feet and being agile is certainly very important during this time because things are changing. They'll continue changing. Um, there are some things that we're we're getting used to here that may never go away. Um, you know, and and some things that'll come back. I you know I I don't know that we know the answer to those things. I think that we just have to 
just pay attention and learn from the experience and uh, and be adaptable. I think we have to do that. I um, in my business, in terms of workplace violence, a lot of things that, for example, um, you know, we ask managers to pay attention to their employees. You know, notice who's being stressed out. Notice who's coming late every day, and and you know, or maybe. Uh, you know, having too much to drink. Notice people that are irritable. Notice all these early signs in their employees. And and in some of the companies that I work with, we're not seeing the employees. They're they're working from home. So so we're having to teach managers like how to pay attention better and how and we're we're actually teaching them how to ask the right questions on a phone call because you just you can't use your eyes anymore. You know. And so, so there's there's just a lot of things we're having to learn in a lot of different little ways. And 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 I think that's so. One of the things I've discovered is that Zoom, for all its badness, or or Teams, or whatever you know, whatever doohickey you're using, for all its badness, there's there's some richness in it as well. Like Zoom's kind of the great equalizer. People who who would sort of hog meetings, who would dominate meetings, are now just one little block on the Brady Bunch screen. And people who never had a voice have a voice. So I, there's clearly some benefits to this uncertainty. It's just hard to understand where they are. But there, yep. there must be some organizations are thriving. And some organizations aren't going to make it. And, and everywhere in between, if we drew a bell curve, and we're both social scientists, so we could draw a bell curve. We could draw that bell curve. I'm curious not on how organizations fail, but on how they thrive. Well, good point. I mean, good point. I, I and and you know more a lot more about that than I do on an organizational level. But you know, I think that um, you know that that adaptability and that I don't know. To me, it's it's about attending to uh, your people. And and again, I think that you know my organizations I work with are either in one or two categories, or somewhere in between. But usually, they're either essential worker, they're essential industries that are really working hard right now under a lot of stress with the virus and or their uh, industries that are really suffering uh, their people are working from home they don't see them very much and they're they're having to decide who's going to they're going to lay off and so i mean uh, so so there's just a a lot of i'm not don't remember where i was going for that with this but the bottom line is is that there's just a a lot of organizational differences just like there's personal differences in terms of saying you know when i said that it's kind of hard to predict who's who's dealing with this well and who's not i mean there's some surprises same with the organizations yeah yeah well thanks for your time man that was a great conversation yeah it always is with you todd and yes half the trip is downhill (laughs) it kind of makes it all better when you think of it that way it's all about (laughs) framing it in a way that you know it seems like a benefit don't you just love coasting on a bike, though? Oh, my God. There's nothing better on Earth. Yeah. Nothing better on Earth. Yeah. It's, it's all the joy of traveling with none of the effort. It's perfect. That's right. Yeah. So that was the conversation. I told you it's just fun chatting with him, and I just learn a lot. I mean, I don't know if it's if it's his ability to reflect back sort of my question to him, to me. Did that sentence make any sense? We should diagram that sentence if you get a chance. That seemed like an odd one. But Mark's sensitive to 
the needs that you have when you talk to him and seems to fulfill him. And the idea that really in high stress, high threat, chronic risk exposure, risk fatigue, we used all those words in this conversation, that activities will rise to fill whatever time you have seems helpful to me because it explains why all of a sudden some projects that I, by all rights should be done in minutes take days, weeks sometimes. And, and that explains really how this off normal time is manifesting itself in our work as professionals, as, as what we're doing, because you can see that really everywhere. I mean, there's, there's a whole phenomena here where words are hard to find, names are difficult to remember, and time zooms by. It seems like Monday happens, then it's Friday, then it's Monday, then it's Friday. And I don't really want time to go faster. I mean, that doesn't seem interesting to me. We should cherish every moment we have and really look for ways, I think, to, to come out of this idea, this chronic exposure to risk, stronger and better. So I guess maybe the answer to what Marcus said is that we're mindful, we're sensitive, we're listening to weak signals. We understand that we're under stress and that we understand that stress we're under manifests itself organizationally. And you see that in operations production and the work we do. And I think you're probably going to see an increase in events at some point because at some point this long-term chronic risk exposure is going to bloom. It's going to have some kind of apex. I want to say climax, but that seems like the wrong use of that word. I, I try to save that word for other uses. That is really a pretty important thing for us to think about. And we know our systems are fragile. We know we're having to move from measuring to monitoring. We know that reciprocity and generosity have really mattered a lot during this time. And we know that the connections we have with workers and understanding their ability to be adaptive or agile, as Mark talked about, is a pretty powerful force. And I think those things alone, hearing them in another context, uh, not in the echo chamber of safety, but in sort of the bigger world around threat and stress and organizational outcomes, that's probably really good for us. And I think it's a perfect pod for this weekend and a perfect pod for you to think about. So here's my challenge to you. Spend some time and think about what you heard and see what that does for you. My guess is the response you're going to give me back is it's helpful. And I think that's the very best we can hope for. Our job really now is restorative in nature. And that's something we need to think about because we need to get to a place where we can help our organizations restore their ability to do high risk, high consequence work in a reliable, robust, and resilient way. And all three of those R's matter. They matter a ton. So that's the pod. That's it for today. But I think it's enough. I feel like that was a really good way to spend some time. So enjoy. Until then, learn something new every single day. My guess is today you did. Have as much fun as you can possibly have. Be kind to each other. That seems really important. In fact, every time I say it, it seems more important. And most of all, be safe.